Today's scripture comes to us from the book book of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed him with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender has two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, who sa- he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head, anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Speak to God. Uh, uh, today we do have a special treat. Um, PJ's out of town, actually out of the country um, for a wedding, um, Chris and Tiffany's, uh, which means we do have a guest speaker today, our very own dear brother, um, Peter, who's also an ordained pastor. He'll be coming up to deliver today's word. Thank you, brother. sorry for some of you guys who had to do that D-board nomination. I think it would have taken me about five minutes to find that link. That URL was so long. Anyways, uh, like Pastor James said, my name is Peter. Um, It's glad to be here for some of us. For many of us, I think we're old friends, uh, but it's also good to see some new faces, some unfamiliar faces here. Um, For some of you who don't know, you might have seen me here kind of shadily roaming the hallways during NCF or, you know, in the back on my phone or something. Uh, While we were living in Bayside for a long time after Jess and I got married, uh, we were attending NCF, uh, but I also served uh, bivocationally as a a preaching pastor in Flushing at a local church down here. Um, uh, Bivocational just means I have a full-time job during the week, and I happen to serve the church on the weekends, um, but Jess and I and our family, we moved to New Jersey about maybe a year and a half ago, and I just recently resigned from my position in Flushing, so that's probably why you haven't seen us, not that you terribly miss us or anything like that, but anyways, um, I mentioned this uh, for a couple of reasons. First, um, the bivocational thing, um, as a bivocational minister, as a guy who also has a full-time job, full-time job, family, balancing all that stuff. Even though I went to seminary, I trained to be a minister, I never felt like a, a pastor kind of talking down to you guys. I always felt like a, a brother in Christ, 
kind of struggling through the same things, you know, thinking about the same things. But also connected to that, um, now that we're in New Jersey, uh, we've been looking for a church that we could call home, right? Not a church that I want to work in necessarily, but a church that we can call home because church has a dear place in my heart. I think our sister, Andrea, she announced about the importance of church and some of the announcements. I know I'm calling out your name. We never met before, Andrea. My name is Peter. I'm calling you out like you're my BFF or something like that. I just read your name on the uh, bulletin. That's how I know your name. Right, but like Andrea mentioned, church has a dear place in my heart. Right? The Bible, the, the metaphor that the Bible uses to describe what the church is, is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And we've heard this before, right? that the church is the body of Christ. And what that means at the very least is that if you're doing church right, right? if you're doing church right, when people walk in through the doors of the church, when people park up in St. John's in that parking lot and walk up the stairs and they come into the sanctuary to experience NCF, right? when they experience community life here, when they experience you as an individual out there in the world, something about us communally as a body, something about us individually should feel like an encounter with God himself. Right? Something about our presence should feel like we're encountering Jesus Christ himself. And that's what I'd like to talk to us about today. Right? How do people experience you? Right? How do people on the outside, or even some of us here on the inside, how are we experiencing NCF? Are we being that presence of God to the communities around us, to the people we interact with day in and day out? All right, so coming to our text, right, the setting for our text is a, a meal at the house of a guy named Simon. He's a Pharisee. He invites Jesus to come over, and, he, and Jesus graciously accepts. And because Jesus was a kind of like this semi-public figure at this point in his ministry, right, the way the houses were arranged was he'd invite Jesus over for a meal, and the meal would happen in like this courtyard. And this courtyard was kind of semi-open. Right, so that as Jesus and the Pharisees are talking, people who are interested could kind of come in and eavesdrop. Right? Maybe not unlike what church is today. Right, that's a setting for our story. But the focus of the story, the focus of this particular episode is on this woman. Right, this woman whom the text describes as a sinner, a woman of the city. Right? And she sees this meal happening and they're all reclined around the table, Jesus and the Pharisees, and the way they do it, it's like a, a Korean sang, you know, those low tables, and they kind of are on one elbow, and their feet are kind of sticking out, right? That's how they do it, like a spoke. And she does a really intimate thing when she sees Jesus reclining at that meal, right? She anoints his feet. And what the text wants to highlight are two specific, different, contrasting reactions. The text highlights two reactions, one from Simon the Pharisee and the other from Jesus himself. And I think in these responses, right, I think these responses can serve as like kind of a, a mirror for us, right? a mirror for who we are as a church, a mirror for who we represent as Christians living out in the world. Are we being the presence of Christ? to the communities around us? Are we being the presence of Christ to the world around us? Are we faithful in our call to be the body of Christ? 
Right, so let's look at our story under kind of three headings because every divinely inspired sermon has three headings. I felt pressure to follow suit. Right, so first, let's look at the story from the perspective of the woman. Second, let's look at the response of Simon the Pharisee. And finally, let's look at the response of Jesus himself. So first, right, we got the perspective of the woman. Right, again, we don't know much about this woman other than the fact that the ESV translates this as she's a woman of the city who was a sinner, right? And you read various commentators on, you know, what they think, you know, she did, that she deserved this title. Um, and many think that she was probably involved in some sort of a, like sexual sin or prostitution. Um, but I think it's interesting, right, that um, instead of calling her by her name, or calling her by her father's name, or giving a description of what she does, right? Luke is calling her by what everyone knew her as, right? She says, that woman, the woman of the city, a sinner. And immediately people who read this text are supposed to understand who this woman is. She was a sinner. She had a reputation, right? You know, earlier in chapter 7, we see that this story takes place in a, a town called Nain or a nine. I never knew how to really pronounce it, right? It's N-A-I-N. That's the town that the story takes place in. And the town is probably about um, one and a half square miles big. It's not a big town at all. I currently, my wife and I, we live it, and my kids too, just in case you were wondering, right? My kids, my, my family and I, we live in a town called Oradell in New Jersey. It's just east of Paramus. And the square mileage of Oradell is two and a half square miles. Now, for me... I'm used to living in the big city, Queens, right? That's still the big city, right? To everyone outside of New York City, right? I'm used to living in the big city. I'm just another face in a pan of faces that represent all the nations of the entire world. But Oradell, right, in New Jersey is a small town. And in Oradell, something that shocked Jess and me when we first moved there is that everybody knows everything about everyone, right? When we first moved there, we went to the library and uh, we were talking to the librarian and it was clear, you know, we we're signing up for library cards. It was clear that we were new to town. And they're like, oh, where'd you guys move? And like, oh, we moved in that house, you know, on the corner of so-and-so street. Like, oh, I know that house. Oh, you're that couple. I know who you are. Right? This is small town life. Right? How much more so back then in a town like Nine, which is smaller than Oradell. Right? People talk about each other because that's all there is to talk about. So coming back to the story, right, if, because everyone knew everything about this woman, right, if you called her a sinner, you weren't telling her anything new. Right? You call her a sinner and you're not telling her anything new. She, she knew who she was. She was aware of her status in life. It's not like you, hey, woman, sinner. She would have been like, oh, me, a sinner, right? It, it wasn't a surprise, and I remember in high school, uh, I know it might come as a surprise to many of you, but in high school, I was not that popular, uh, rather geeky, not very athletic. I wore terrible clothes. My grandma would send off sweats, matching sweats in like turquoise blue that said, follow Ralph Lauren, follow Ralph Lauren. I just wear them to school. You know, my, my clothes weren't that cool. I didn't have Nikes. I wore Converse before they were cool back, you know, now they're cool now, but back then they weren't. I remember, like, I went one streak without showering for, like, three days or something, right? Like, I knew who I was in high school, right? If someone said, hey, you're weird, hey, you're a nerd, I would be like, me? A nerd? You know? 
that wouldn't have been the reaction. I knew who I was. I knew my status in life. I watched those high school movies. I know where I sit in the cafeteria. I'm aware of who I am in my high school. This woman knew her status in life. You didn't need to remind her that she was a sinner. She knew who she was. Now imagine how it feels to be this woman in a small town like Naim. Imagine how it feels to be this woman. How, she, how much she wished circumstances didn't have to lead to the place where she was, who she was at that moment. How much she wished she could just undo the reputation that she had built for herself. How much she wished she could just kind of start over. Right? But it's not like New York City where you can make a new life for yourself. First of all, at the time she was a woman, which... On the social rung at that time, women were considered more like property. They didn't have equal rights. That's one ding against her. And two, what kind of marketable skills did she have anyway? Right? It's not like she could just pick up and leave and start all over. Right? She was a, a reject on the margins of society. If it's true that she was involved in prostitution or sexual sin, like men used her. Right? Women didn't want to be around her. The religious establishment, certainly, they shunned her. You're unclean. You're not one of us. Get out of the temple. You don't belong here. How much she wished she'd she'd start over. How much she just wanted to be accepted. How much she just longed to be loved, to fit in like everybody else. So this woman hears about this amazing person named Jesus. And I, I think she heard about her before. Before, and earlier in chapter 7, talks about Jesus having resurrected the boy, the only child of a mother. Word got around about him. And he sees, he hears about Jesus. And as we mentioned before, she does this really intimate thing by bringing this alabaster flask of ointment. Alabaster, for all of you guys don't know, because I didn't know it before I studied this text, right? It's this mineral stone that they carved into containers. And inside this flask was an ointment. It was very fragrant. Some kind, I think Daryl Bach and some commentators say that this ointment probably cost about 300 denarii, which is about 300 days wages for an average worker. We're talking about like a $40,000 bottle of ointment. And she uses it to anoint the feet of Jesus. So at this point, right, so this is what happens, right? This is the scenario. This is the perspective of the woman. Now let's see the two responses, the two contrasting responses that we talked about. First, the response of Simon the Pharisee. We see it in verse 39. When Pharisee, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Right now, Normally, right, when we see that word Pharisee, right, we tend to think of bad guy, right? In the Bible, if there's any, like, villain in the Bible, in the stories of Jesus, it's the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees are the bad guys, right? We say it in church, like, don't be a Pharisee, right? Yo, Christianity is about grace. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't be such a legalist. We say things like this, right? And so we read a verse like verse 39, and it's like we're not surprised that this is the response of Simon, right? He's heartless. He's judgmental, right? But let's think about this for a second. Let's consider, right? What makes a Pharisee 
of Pharisees. Why did Pharisees exist? What were Pharisees all about? Well, Pharisees were people who actually really cared about God. Pharisees were people who really cared about the Bible. Right? They saw Judaism going down. Uh, Judea, the Jewish people have been a lot by the time the Pharisees come around. And the Pharisees are interested in revival. Let's, let's go back to the Torah. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's revive the traditions that have been handed down to us from our forefathers. Right? They're all about revival. They, they care about their religion. By and large, they're good, pious people. And I think Pharisees, as much as we like to judge them, I think they also had some degree of, of self-awareness, right? Um, you didn't have to tell them that by nature they were sinners. You didn't have to tell them that by nature they were objects of God's wrath, right? We see, you know, um, for example, you see in uh, Romans chapter 3, Paul, he, he's, he's telling us why we all fall short of the glory of God. And he's quoting specific passages of the Old Testament, how we don't seek after God, how we're all deserving of wrath, we're all deserving of judgment. I think Simon, as a fellow Pharisee, right? Paul was a Pharisee, of course. Simon, as a fellow Pharisee, he was very aware of these Old Testament passages that made it clear that by nature, I stand condemned before holy God, right? I, I I don't think Simon was ignorant of these things, right? He had a certain degree of self-awareness. So he knew that in order for me to be righteous before God, I need to work. I need to observe the law. I need to do the things that I need to do in order to curry God's favor into my life. And so Pharisees, by and large, as a community, this is exactly what they did. They were serious about their devotion to God. There's some of us here who are like serious about Bible. They put any of us to shame. They memorize large portions of the Old Testament. Their lives were all about prayer. Forget about Sebekilo that our parents went to. Man, these guys outdo that. They fast twice a week. They are hardcore Christians. That they had worked so hard that they had really set themselves apart. Between Pharisee, between Simon the Pharisee and this woman, there was a, a clear line. Anyone looking can see that she and he were totally different people on totally different sides of the social spectrum. And brothers and sisters, come on, as we consider what a Pharisee is, what makes a Pharisee a Pharisee, I want to ask all of us, are we so different? Are we so different? I'll grant it might not be in the realm of like Christian devotion. I'll grant you that much, right? It might not be in the realm of like prayers or anything like that. I'm not talking about religion in general, right? But, you know, brothers and sisters, I I look around this room. I I did a few pans like this just to see everyone's face, right? And by and large, we are all very beautiful people. We are, right? Stop blushing, Hoon, right? We are, by and large, very beautiful people. I bet you in this room, there are like, if you like take the sum of all the product that the gentlemen have put in their hair, it probably comes out to like maybe a pound, maybe, right? The cosmetics that we've applied in our faces, I put lotion on my face every morning, right? The, the sum total, the cosmetics that we put just in this room for today might amount to the hundreds of dollars, right? In cosmetics, millions of dollars in college degrees, advanced degrees, right? Beautiful people, right? By and large, we are pretty okay, 
We're doing pretty okay. But, you know, I, I can also see in this room that many of us are probably of, like, maybe Korean descent or Asian descent. You know, I saw this uh, Facebook post that uh, someone posted about, and they showed pictures of Korea, like, in the early 1900s. And I'll tell you, those pictures are not so glamorous. I got, like, fellas and ladies wearing hanboks. Right? right now you wear hanboks to, like, tours and stuff. And they're nicely pressed and they're shiny and stuff, but that's not the kind of hanboks that they wore back then. Like, it was dirty, right? The royalty had these hats, Mickey Mouse hats, right? And that was cool back then, you know? But now you turn on TV and you look at, like, Korean society in, in Korea. Like, everyone's, like, so glamorous. Everyone's so beautiful. They look not too different from you and me, right? Everyone's beautiful. Everyone's smart. Everyone's articulate. It seems like everyone is successful. Something has happened over the generations that caused us to kind of move up in the social ranks, right? In the eyes of the world, right? We are probably in the top single-digit percentage in terms of, like, lifestyle and quality of life. We have generally good access to food, to healthcare, to cosmetics, right? And let's be honest, right? as we live our lives now, right, having started from, dare I say, a privileged position, we feel this pressure to keep up, right? To make sure that our kids get into the best schools, move into the towns with the best tax school quality ratio. Right? We do our research around this, right? Make sure we can enjoy the same restaurants, the same vacations, the same kinds of experiences that we see on our Facebook posts that our friends keep putting up, right? And if we don't do it, if we don't keep up, we have this innate sense that we're going to be left behind. That one day as they keep moving up, if I stay where I am, one day I'm not going to be worthy. I'm not going to be able to, to fit in, right? It takes work. It takes effort to keep up with the Kims. It takes effort to keep up with the Joneses, right? But even if it's a struggle, we spend endless hours doing our research, Endless hours on social media comparing, contrasting, endless hours trying to move up that career ladder to make more money. Right? Of course, there's nothing wrong with any of this stuff in and of itself. I have to say that, right? Because I'm part of it too. Right? There's nothing wrong with product, cosmetics, nothing wrong with taking a shower. It's fine. Please take a shower before service, right? Nothing wrong with making yourself beautiful. Nothing wrong with going on good vacations. But the problem comes when we kind of live in this bubble. Right? And we see people who are outside of this bubble that are different, that don't have the same access that we have. And when we meet them, when we encounter them, we do this social, sort of a social valuation. We rank them in our heads. Are they above us? Are they below us? Right? And maybe like Simon, right, who saw this woman, and it was clear that there was a line between her and him, and, and notice how he polite he was about it, right? He didn't say, woman, get away. He didn't say that. No, he was too polite for that. He thought to himself. He said it to himself. He thought this in his head, right? Maybe unlike Simon, right, we pay lip service to things like love your neighbor as yourself, right? We pay lip service when we sing songs like your grace is enough. I give my life to you. Right, but deep inside, brothers and sisters, I wonder. I wonder about myself. 
Uh, you know, uh, many of you guys were with Jess and me when we were part of a church plant in Long Island City. Uh, we had moved to this, uh, this is a long time ago, we had moved, um, the location of that church was kind of in this crossroads where, you know, on one side of Long Island City, it was like really gentrifying, like a lot of money was moving into one area of town, and there was another part of Long Island City that was still yet to be developed, right? Still felt very rough around the edges, still felt like the ghettos, and the church was located in a school that was kind of right, or in, in, a, in a playhouse that was right in the middle of that. Right? So on one side, you had the gentrified area, and the other side, you had kind of the, the rough around the edges area. Well, you know, one Sunday, we were meeting for church, and, um, you know, we were in this area, and in walks a, a woman from the community, right? Not, you know, the, the people that we started the church with. It was a, a woman from the community, right? And the way we had service back then, it was kind of like this, actually. We kind of arranged in a room in a circle, and kind of towards the back, we had, like, snacks that, and coffee that people could kind of take while we're, you know, having worship. And um, in walks this woman from the community, and um, she walks in. She looks around, you know, and then she has, like, this bag, and, she, you know, she takes some of the food, right? And then she's kind of hanging out there, and five minutes later, she leaves. And I see this because I was sitting in the back because I was part of the AV team. Right? That's what I did, right? I was seeing this. I was looking at her, right? And I'll be honest with you guys. Right? Inside my heart, it wasn't like, oh, how awesome it is that someone from the community would come and worship with us. That wasn't my first thought. Right? Inside my heart, like Simon, I'm polite. Welcome to church. Great to have you here. Inside my heart, something else going on. I'll be honest, inside my heart, I'm judging her severely. Right? I'm saying things like, thank God. God, I thank you that I'm not like this woman who has no sense to know that what's going on here is a worship service. Just take the snacks and leave. Thank God that I'm not like this woman. Right? This is what I'm thinking deep inside my heart. Thank God that I have the means to provide for my family. I thank you, God, that I can wear clean clothing, that I have the sense to shower before I come to church. I thank you, God, that I have friends that I can count on. Right? This is what I'm thinking deep inside my heart. This is why I'm going to seminary, brothers and sisters, while I'm training to be in the ministry. This is what's going down deep inside my heart. And the point I want to make is that when we read this story, we tend to think, oh, Pharisees, oh, they're the bad guys. Don't be like the Pharisees. That's what we tend to think. But really, brothers and sisters, are we so different? Are we so different? Is it not a mirror to our nature? So let's move on to our final point, the response of Jesus. So Jesus, obviously, son of God, knows everything. He sees this happening. Right? And I don't know how Jesus does it, but quickly he thinks of a, a parable. Right? That's not my first instinct if I want to call something out to think of a parable. That's not my first instinct. But Jesus does this. He's telling a parable. In verse 40, Jesus answering said to him, Simon. Right? This is after Simon is thinking these things in his heart. Right? Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender has two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and another 50. When, one could, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one will love them more? Right? Now, it's quick. It's a quick parable, and it's not a trick question. And Simon is smart enough to answer, right? The one, I suppose, right, it says in verse 43, for whom he canceled the larger debt. 
And Jesus said, you have judged rightly. Right? And brothers and sisters, for us reading this parable, it's pretty simple. Right? We get the concept. Right? The bigger the debt that gets canceled, the bigger our response of gratefulness. Right? The bigger our response of, of thankfulness. Right? The bigger our sense of obligation to sort of well, pay back maybe. Right? It makes sense, right? If I, you know, this morning, if I, I spill your coffee by mistake that you bought at Starbucks, right? And you said, oh, hey, uh, you spilled my coffee. Don't worry about it. I can always get another one. Right? I, I might feel a little bad that I spilled your coffee. Sorry, dude. You know, that's the extent of my apology too. Sorry, dude. Right? I spilled your coffee. And you say, don't worry about it. I'd be like, all right, you know, I feel a little bad, but it's not the end of the world. Right? But what if you let me borrow your car? The same car that you take your kids to school in. The same car you rely on for work, right? The same car that you just need to get to church. And I totally crash it. Boom, get into an accident. It wasn't my fault. Trust me, it wasn't my fault. Maybe it was, but it wasn't, right? When I tell you the story, it wasn't my fault. And you say, Pete, you crashed my car. The only car that I rely on to take my kids to school and to go to work. Don't worry about it. I got this killer insurance policy. Don't worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. Just go on and be. If you said that to me, that's like, that's, that's disarming, right? I feel so guilty. I do everything in my power to, to try to make up for it, right? And this is the point that Jesus is trying to make, right? The larger the debt that it is, you get canceled, the greater your response. Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying that Simon required less forgiveness. That's not the point of the Pharisee because there are scriptures that make it clear, right? Jesus makes it clear that no matter who you are, religious or not, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? No matter who you are, no one comes to the Father, Jesus says, except through me, by putting your faith in me, by putting your trust in me. The standard is there no matter who you are. It's the same requirements to win the favor of God, right? So the problem is not what Simon needed. The problem was in the way Simon saw himself. It was a problem of self-perception, right? Because only to this woman does Jesus say, your faith has saved you. He never says to Simon, your faith and your works have saved you. He doesn't even say that. He makes, he tells this parable to tell a point. This woman, he says, your faith has saved you. Why? We could tell in her extravagant response. This woman who was longing for a savior, who was longing for a different life, a longing for a new life, Jesus was able to give it to her. And in response, she was so grateful that she worshiped at his feet and anointed them. Right? But to Simon, he says, you gave me no water for my feet. That was a polite thing to do when people came over to your house. You give them a little water so they could wash their feet. You gave me no water for my feet, no kiss when I came in, because I mean nothing to you. In your mind, I have nothing of value to offer you. You're forgiven little, he tells Simon, because you love little. Man, that's convicting. You're forgiven little because you love 
little, and it's not in the text, but I can almost hear Jesus say something like, Simon, in your quest to become righteous, good luck. In your quest to save yourself, good luck. Good luck. Right? Good luck. You see, Simon was not seeing himself clearly. He thought his long Pharisee robe, he thought the respect that he got from the community, he thought his fancy house with the courtyard, right? Because the world affirmed his status in the world. He thought he was doing all right. He thought he was good in the eyes of God. But Jesus keeps it real. Jesus keeps it real. He says, in the eyes of God, Simon, you have missed the mark. It's not the world's opinion of you that counts. It's my opinion of you that counts. And I was watching a long time ago, this was an episode of Top Chef that I was watching. This is what, I don't know if it's, is that show still on, Top Chef? Do any younger guys in college know about this show, Top Chef? Is it still around, right? Anyways, Top Chef was a, a cool show back in one of the cooking shows, right? And I remember this, one of the judges was Tom Colicchio. He does Diet Coke commercials now. He's a cool guy, right? And Tom Colicchio is one of the judges on the show. Basically, it's a cooking show, right? You cook in front of the judges and you present your dish and the judge tells you whether the dish was good or not, right? That's the, you know, that's like all cooking shows. And one day, this, you know, cowboy of a, a chef, he thought he was all that. You know, he prepares this dish. He's doing working hard. And it's like, boom, presents it to the judge, right? Tom Clicky was like, yo, this dish is terrible. What is this? It's terrible. You know what the guy says? The guy says, this, yo, I don't care what you think about my dish. I know it's great. I know it's great. I don't care about your opinion. My dish is awesome. And you know what Tom Colicchio says in response? Yeah, unfortunately for you, it's my opinion that counts. It's my opinion that keeps you on the show or not. At the end of the day, the world's opinion, who cares? We're all going to die. We're all going to come before the judgment seat of God. It's only God's opinion of us that matters. So in this third point, considering the perspective of Jesus, he sees this woman He sees Simon, both equally depraved, both equally needing the grace of God, right? We should ask ourselves, are we seeing ourselves clearly? Are we seeing ourselves clearly? You know, um, given how male-dominated and patriarchal this uh, society was, um, for this woman to be categorized as a sinner, um, Certainly she was an outcast. People didn't want to be around her. She might have been a widow. She might have been fatherless at this point, no house to belong to, right? And I mention this because these are trigger words for some of us who know our Bible. God reveals himself as a God who cares for the fatherless, the widow, the outcast. God cares. God loves the people out in the margins and he wants to bring them in. Jesus, when he started his ministry in Luke chapter 4, he's quoting Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so for this woman, Jesus really was all she had. Society didn't want her. The world didn't want her. Jesus was all she had. He was the only one that she could trust to save her, right? But for us, brothers and sisters, I'm, t- I'm telling myself too. 
we hear words like this. We hear what Jesus is about and we say, amen. We say, amen, that's true. Jesus, that's true, right? We say that. But we have the privilege, the privilege of saying that these things are mere metaphors for our spirituality. They're metaphors, right? They're metaphors that when push comes to shove, we have our degrees, we have our jobs, we have our bank accounts, our families, our social networks to fall back on. And again, absolutely, we should praise God that he has blessed us with these things. But come on, let's keep it real. Let's keep it real. Now, one more thing. I was on the Smithsonian Institute's website. Don't ask me why I was on that website. I just have to be on it. Maybe I was Googling something and I found this little interesting article, right? It says, between us and uh, chimpanzees, oh, <laughs> chimpanzees, you didn't know I was going this way with this, did you? Right? Chimpanzees and bonobos, there's a 1.2% genetic variance, right? In our physiological makeup, right? So what is that? 98 point, you do the math, right? We're really similar to chimpanzees and bonobos. Bonobos is a clothing brand, but it also refers to, you know, bonobos, right? Type of ape, right? Among humans, among humans, you know what our genetic variance is? No matter where you are, among humans, the genetic variance is 0.1%. 0.1%, right? That means that 99.9% of our bodies are remarkably the same. That means you share 99.9% of the same genetics as Kanye West, Kim Kardashian, Donald Trump, Barack Obama, wherever you are in the political, Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter, people on Rikers Island, right? This woman in our story with Simon, with each other, we're all remarkably really similar, right? And here's something else we have in common. None of us are God. None of us have the power of existence within us that if we die, we can raise our own lives again. Come on, we don't have that kind of ability, right? But we like to be treated like God. We like to think we can be like God. All of us are so vulnerable to, to sickness, to death, to aging. Oh, the billions of dollars we spend trying not to age. I do it too. Don't worry about it. Right? We're all vulnerable to this. Right? And God forbid a freak accident happens. Our lives could end in a split second. That's who we are. That's who we are. Right? So take away all the things that we think set ourselves apart. And what are we left with? It's exactly as the Bible says, we're vapor. We are grass that withers. We are dust. Life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. Here one day and they're gone the other. That last part was me. Here one day and gone the other. That's not in the Bible. But basically, that's, that's the idea. Here one day and gone the other. So here's wisdom. Teach us to number our days, right? That we may gain a heart of wisdom. Because as long as we don't, brothers and sisters, we're like Simon, going through the religious motions, never seeing ourselves the way God sees us. And it shows in our worship. It shows in our worship. Again, that verse in verse 44, right? You know, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. 
but she has not ceased to kiss my feet. I did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Ouch. What an indictment to all of us. What an indictment. I could hear Jesus telling Simon, telling all of us, get over yourself. Get over yourself, right? See yourself the way God sees us. Let's see ourselves for the truth of who we are. Let's ask the Spirit to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. I'm not that different from this woman. I need to be rescued. I need to be saved. Jesus, you are the vine. I am the branch. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Apart from you, I am nothing. See the truth of who we are and also see the love of God in the midst of this. Jesus, who calls us to cast our burdens on him. Give me your whole heart and I will save you. Right, to close, brothers and sisters, right, to close, let's, let's tie this up with what we talked about in the beginning about church, about being the presence of God. Right? If we can see people, I think if we could see ourselves clearly with the eyes of God, with a mind that's constantly being renewed, with a heart that is transformed, with a life that has been crucified with Christ, so that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Then I think we can have a church where people can come and they won't feel judged. I don't know how many people I talk to. They say they come to church and the first thing that they feel is they feel judged. They feel unworthy. One last story I'll tell you. In college, I was starting to work out because I was a nerd in high school, right? Got to make up for it. I got to compensate for this stuff. I started to you know, go to the gym and, and take my fitness seriously. And I invited my friend to come with me. And my friend was like half my size, kind of scrawny. And I'm like, yo, let's go to the gym. Let's get buffed together, right? I was kind of chubby. I was like, I had tung chi, but I was kind of chubby, right? I said, yo, let's go to the gym. Let's get buffed together. He's like, no, nah, dude, I don't want to go to the gym. I'm like, why not? Why don't you want to go to the gym? He's like, I'll go to the gym when I can bench press the big plates. The irony of that, you go to the gym so you can work yourself up to the place where you can bench press big plates. But he said, until I'm worthy, until I'm able to bench press the big plates, I don't want to go to the gym. That's how church feels like to a lot of people on the outside. Unless I've attained a certain spirituality, I don't want to go to church. People come to church and they feel so judged. I'm judgmental. My wife tells me all the time, dude, when you just said that, I felt judged. Come on. It's in all of us. Eyes of God, mind renewed, hearts transformed, a life that has been crucified with Christ. And then I think we can be the presence of God to the people around us. Then I think church can truly embody the presence of Jesus. Like Pastor James always says every week, to be that safe place for all of us. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Well, I'm so blessed about the story of NCF, starting out in this immigrant church as, a, as an English congregation, kind of venturing out into the world to become its own entity. I'm so blessed that 
We have a congregation here committed to this vision. Father, once as a a ministry of of an immigrant church, now to be the presence of God, now to to grow up and to, to reach out to the people around us, I'm so blessed that we have this critical mass of people who, who love you and who are serious about doing your kingdom work. I pray, Lord, that as we do, as we progress, as we grow, God, we remember our chains. Remember, we remember the prison from which we've all been rescued from. We remember that we are 99.9% alike no matter who we are, no matter what our background, no matter what our socioeconomic status, no matter what our sexual orientation, no matter what our race, that we require the same Christ who shed his blood on the cross to save us, to renew us. God, I, 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 all I pray for is continual blessing on this place. In your son's name we pray, amen.